Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's unpublished TV panel discussion. Our topic tonight is the political implications of the throne speech and how long this government may last. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or in our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. Our question this week, the political implication of the throne speech and just how long may this government last? Or unpublished.vote question asks that. And when we took a look at the results, 25% of use at three months, 16.7% said six months, 33.3% said nine months, 8.3% said 12 months, more than 12 months, 83 and undecided, 8.3. At unpublished.vote, you will find our podcast on this issue, as well as articles, opinion pieces, and research on the various views on how long the government may last. So let's get started. Joining us this evening, Michelle Cadario is the CEO of Vanguard Strategy and a principal of JNM Leadership Network. Lydia Miljan is an associate professor and director at the Bachelor of Arts and Sciences program at the University of Windsor. Warren Kinsella is a lawyer and political commentator. And Tom Parkins, a columnist and commentator, and he ran in 2019 for the NDP. Now, when we take a look at our results here, folks, there was nine months came. One third figure this government's going to last nine months. Let's go around the horn. How long do you think it's going to last, Warren? Uh, I, I, you should ask Tom because, uh, you know, the government survives by virtue of the, the support of Mr. Singh and the NDP. And, um, you know, the prime minister figured out a way to do that a few days ago. So, yeah, nine months, that sounds about right. Um, but it's really up to the two of them. And mm -hmm. as long as Mr. Trudeau can satisfy the NDP, I think he's safe. What do you think, Michelle? I think uh, I think that the government could actually last as long as it wants to, to be honest. Um, but uh, if I was advising them, I would think that they might want to go in the spring. Uh, all of it's COVID dependent, though, right? Like they need a bit of a runway um, and they need to be able to, to uh, somehow maneuver that uh, confidence vote that the NDP won't actually support, uh, which might be harder than you think, uh, because I don't know that they're in any hurry at all to go to uh, to go to the polls. Lydia, what do you think? Nine months uh, will this government last or perhaps less? Forever. They're just never going to go away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I agree with Michelle that it's really up to them. What, what they're going to they're going to decide when they're going to go to the polls. It could be this spring. It could be a confidence motion with the with the budget. Um, but, you know, depending on how we survive this winter, they might want to hold on longer. We know the NDP do not have an appetite or the budget for an election. I think the only um, party that really would like to, to meet the government at the polls would be the Conservatives, but they can't decide it on their own. So we could even have, you know, the three more years of, of a minority government, uh, considering the machinations of the NDP and the Liberals. But let's face it, the NDP have more power now than they have in any other um, time in history, at least in, in living, not living memory, but in, in a long time. Oh, wow. Okay. And Tom, what do you think? Is it uh, going to be nine months? Is it going to be three years? How long is this government going to last? Um, you know, I, I think it could go for quite a while because uh, I think there's a lot of reasons that Canadians want to see the New Democrats and the Liberals work together, not the least of which is uh, I think people take a dim view when political parties can't uh, come to some sort of arrangement which seems sensible in, in their view. And, and so it all comes to what does sensible mean um, through the lens of Jagmeet Singh and, and Justin Trudeau and how do they 
try to fight for that ground. So, you know, if they, if they, uh, if one or the other starts moving ahead in the polls uh, more, Singh has been up, Trudeau has been up. The Conservatives are, are actually, you know, despite what was said, no, they're down. So they really don't have a, a material interest in an election at this point. But if, I don't think either the New Democrats and Liberals are up enough that it makes sense for them to try to engineer a, the downfall in an election. I think, I think right now there's too many big issues that need to be addressed and, and, and desire to work together. And Warren, if, if someone were to trigger an election, does that bring backlash from the voters? Especially yeah, in the I situation? think it does. And, you know, yeah, I, I would think it does. Because if you look at the primaries in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin in uh, April and May, you know, there were many people who got sick who were working those polls. There were uh, voters who got sick. There were some people who died. So, uh, you know, it's not really in the, the interest of any political party to be uh, forcing an election where people could get sick and die. I, it just, you know, Horgan, I think, has taken an enormous risk in B.C. It has become the principal issue for him as to whether he should have held an election. He may pay a price for that. New Brunswick, they didn't. But, you know, their infection rate was basically non-existent. BC, it's different. And nationally, obviously, it would be different. So uh, I just, I, I can't see Trudeau being that reckless. Um, and, I, and I can't see that uh, O'Toole or, or Singh, as, as Tom said, would be in a, in a big rush to have an election either. And I think, uh, you know, Lydia's right. This thing could go for quite some time. Yeah, and, and Lydia, when we, when we look at the situation here, you've got the Liberals and the NDP, obviously the government, the opposition being the conservatives, but they can't really do anything. All they're all, all they're doing is is basically spinning in the mud. They they can't really do anything, can they? No, they can. And and the problem is, there's no real ballot question right now. I mean, it, it really would be hinging on the on the pandemic. By all accounts, people are are you know they're not thrilled about having a pandemic, but there's consensus about the economic response. I think there there's consensus about the CERB. Uh, obviously, there was all-party consensus in, in reforming EI. And so, you know, we just had an election. It's only been a year. And mm-hmm. so I, I can I can see why there is no appetite for an election right now. And, right, and, and, and for O'Toole, he needs to introduce himself to Canadians. And so a year or two years being the official opposition leader might help him. At least two people might get to know him, warm up to him, and not have him... Um, besieged by attack ads by the Liberals. I think we're in this really bizarre space right now where nobody's launching attack ads, everyone's being very civilized, and so that might actually help O'Toole get some name recognition and be able to meet Canadians on his own terms. Michelle, at what point do the federal Liberals say enough to the NDP? Well, they uh, they won't say enough until they've uh, taken and extracted absolutely everything that they want and can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really all about timing. Um, and I certainly agree with Warren and uh, and Lydia. Like the idea of triggering an election during a global pandemic, um, uh, to me, it's just it's so crazy. It's just it's absolutely crazy. Um, and uh, I was really surprised that Horgan did it. And uh, we'll see if uh, his gamble pays off. Um, and if, uh, you know, they continue to have a rising uh, case count. But, you know, it's going to be a years before we have a vaccine that's actually, like, just practically, mm-hmm. there's going to be years before there's a vaccine that's mass produced and actually distributed. 
on a global scale so that every Canadian has access to one. Why on earth would anybody accept that you're just going to rush to have an election unless there's some extraordinary issue that, you know, kind of comes about that forces the hand and that the, that the um, you know, three opposition parties kind of all gang up together and say, it's time. I'd be really surprised. All right. Now, now, Tom, obviously Jagmeet Singh holds the balance of power and he is getting some of those demands. Matt, will he get them all? No, he's not going to get them all, but he's going to get he's going to get a few good things each time we come to a confidence vote. It's it's kind of a strange situation because, of course, there are three parties that have the balance of party of power, the Bloc, the Conservatives mm-hmm. and the NDP could all do it. Um, the Conservatives, you know, I guess it's a little bit in their DNA to not not go along. The BQ is a little bit more surprising because, uh, you know, the, the, the ethic or the, the ethos of the BQ what used to be. Uh, well, if it's good for Quebec, we'll do we'll vote for that, and if it's not good for Quebec, we we won't vote for that. And here he was, uh, Mr. Blanchet, who gave up the opportunity to negotiate anything for Quebec, and instead handed it over to Mr. Singh. So who who then in turn got you know ten sick days for mm-hmm. Quebecers, uh, got a hundred dollar a, a week improvement in CERB payment for Quebecers. So. You know, I don't think he played that well, to be very honest. What what did the BQ, what has the BQ gotten for Quebecers? N- nothing is the answer through that strategy. I don't know if they're going to reevaluate that. And if they do, that might create an interesting, different uh, avenue for the Liberals. But but we'll see. I mean, even this week, uh, despite what I think was a strategic error, uh, Mr. Blanchet continues to be very, uh, very negative on, on Trudeau. Um, so... You know, as long as it's it's really up to Mr. Singh, if he can identify popular additions to a budget, a financial update, uh, any any kind of thing that can be uh, pulled into a confidence vote, um, if he has something that's popular with the public, he can demand it, and the public will say, "Well, Mr. Trudeau, well, that's just a very reasonable thing to ask." So surely you've got to do that, and Mr. Trudeau will do that and survive another one. And you know what? That's actually, in my opinion. A kind of good outcome, a kind of healthy outcome. Um, there's a little bit of concession, a little bit of deal making, and a little bit of you know Canadians actually being in the mix, not just not just the parties uh, right. making backroom deals. You know, Warren, that was the, where I wanted to go next. The the block is the one party we haven't talked about, and and are, are they have they missed an opportunity here, or perhaps just laying low and biding their time? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, they surprised me during the, the we stuff. Blanchette, uh, who I think is a, a, a superior communicator. Some days I think he's the best communicator in the House of Commons. Um, he was uh, prepared to defeat the government and was uh, clearly outraged by what had taken place. It didn't result in anything meaningful because, of course, the prime minister probed parliament. So um, I guess committees uh, this week are starting to assess whether they're going to take a look at that affair again, and it'll have uh, meaning for the government and how the bloc acts. Uh, I don't know. I it, I do think I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because in English Canada, I think we don't pay as much attention to the bloc, and we should because the only political party, if we look back on the uh, the election a year ago, the only political party who really succeeded in its mm-hmm. objective was the bloc Quebecois. Yeah. All the other parties lost something. And so uh, this guy's a formidable performer and uh, somebody that we need to take very seriously. 
Lydia, the uh, throne speech was heavy on promises, but didn't really come with a roadmap on how to pay for it. Now, you know, in the conservative thing, we obviously you're always concerned about the bottom line, but we are in the midst of a pandemic and sometimes you have to get that money out the door. Where do you see this laying? Again, I mean, I think that there is consensus on the immediate relief to Canadians when it came to emergency response and the subsidies to business. Where I don't see a big appetite, except for perhaps the NDP caucus, is on new program spending, creating new things. I mean, these are all great wish lists, right? If we could have national pharma care, if we could have national daycare, if we could have those things, we would have already had them. They're, they're big ticket items. We're barely handling the stuff that we have control over. I mean, the provinces were very clear. They wanted an injection of money for the healthcare system. You know, here you have the federal government dictating to the provinces what their health care should be like, and yet they don't want to give even 50%. They were, I think they're down to about 20%. They wanted a little bit of a boost. They couldn't do that. So you sort of wonder, yeah, we'd like to all have these things, but I'd also like a pony and a rainbow, you know, <laughs> sunrises, mm -hmm. and we can't have everything we want. Eventually the bill's going to come due, and so that's the real concern. And I think that's what the liberals are going to have to, to, to sort of deal with is how do you make all these promises we have a trillion dollar debt where is the money going to come to especially when you want to have a green recovery you want to sort of um get rid of the oil sands get rid of gas sector i really wonder like are they sort of playing voodoo mathematics voodoo economics because you've got to get people back to work and you've got to have some productivity and we don't see that in the short term so i don't i think these are going to be a lot of aspirational promises I'll be very surprised if they fulfill any of them. Now, in the throne speech, speech Michelle, there, there was comments uh, about possible national standards for long-term care. And, of course, we all know the military went into those uh, LTC homes in, in Ontario and Quebec. Is the federal government trying to pick a fight with the provinces? I think that what they're trying to do, and, and it's what federal governments always try and do, is they want to lay conditions so that that they get some credit for the money that they're giving over to the provinces, right? Because generally with the health transfers and that, nobody remembers that the feds are paying, you know, three quarters or sorry, one third at this point of the money. Everyone just believes that, you know, they hold the province accountable for the money that's spent and, and congratulate them when they're paying, giving more or another program or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, fight against them when they're not. So I think that they want some credit. Um, it's not, it, it's something that most kind of, uh, you know, back in, in our time, we were looking to uh, try and um, uh, impact wait lists, right, mm -hmm. in terms of the 10-year the health accord. And so, you know, you, you, we'll see, and it's also very topical. It's something that is of concern to a lot of families. A lot of uh, Canadians have, have lost a loved one, and everybody who, who, who followed this was completely horrified by the, the conditions mm -hmm. that... Um, that are, we're acceptable in our society. It's, it's unbelievable, given how rich of a country that we have. And so I think that they are kind of, I think it's good politics for them. Um, and, uh, and it helps to shine a light on the fact that they're taking action towards a, a problem in each of the provinces. Uh, now, Warren, I, I refer back to your column, your recent column, and you mentioned the federal government's been coasting on the actions of uh, governments that are truly fighting coronavirus, which is the provinces. And, do you really feel the provinces have done a good job? I do. I do. And then it was hard for me to say that because, they're, you know, they're across the spectrum from Oregon and the NDP and the UCP and Alberta and, 
like it, it, it's been not bad. And, you know, the, the proof point is just all of us need to take a look down south. We have less than 10,000 deaths. They've got 205,000. They've got more than a million people infected. We've got far less than that. You know, they've got 4% of the world's population, 20% of its deaths. So by any reasonable standard, Canada is doing well. Mr. Trudeau deserves some of the credit for that too. But as you know, my, my friends on the panel have pointed out, healthcare is the responsibility of the provinces. And the provinces in the main, to my surprise, uh, have done a pretty good job. And they've done a pretty good job when you make a comparison to how people are doing internationally. In terms of long-term care as well? You feel Long-term that term care? Uh, no, no. Every every uh, well here in Ontario, every political party, including the one that I worked for for a decade, uh, all of us have, as Michelle said, all of us have a responsibility and accountability for what took place with respect to long-term care, and uh, all of us have a responsibility to account for our shortcomings. And I think that that is coming. There's a multiplicity of commissions of inquiry taking place in Ontario now. And my belief is that all of the political parties are going to share in the blame. But so too will society. You know, that's the one thing people have been very critical of the Chinese this spring and summer and fall. The one thing they do much better than us is how they treat senior citizens and their elderly. And uh, I, I was nodding my head to what Michelle was saying earlier. We need to change the way in which we deal with our seniors uh, because the way in which we've been doing it so far is shameful. You know, Tom, uh, before prorogation leading to this road speech, of course, the we scandal was everywhere. And how does Jagmeet Singh use that to his advantage to get what he needs? I don't think he particularly does. I think he lets mostly he lets the conservatives do that. Um, I don't think he's going to be absent on the question. Uh, he is going to mostly delegate that to Charlie Angus to to do the, the spade work. Uh, and um, in particular on that one, he's well, Charlie Angus is probably going to continue to go uh, on the issue of whether uh, Bartish Jagger can really continue to be a minister after the documents that showed mm -hmm. that she was, in fact, directing uh, everything towards we, directing this process to we, uh, and this story that she and the prime minister said that it was all about the bureaucracy, that they made the selection, it was all independently done and assessed, that just, you know, that doesn't hold up. So we're going to get back into that whole thing. But, you know, I don't think that 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 may bog Mr. Trudeau down. And to some some extent, that's that's a, a benefit to Mr. Singh, because uh, we don't, you know, uh, the New Democrats don't want um, Mr. Trudeau getting too high and mighty. They want him to be a little bit humble and a little bit needy. Uh, and uh, Mr. Singh himself wants to, you know, maintain, get get to, you know, most polls showing 18, 19, occasionally a 20 or a 21. He wants to get solidly over the 20 line. And at that point, it bec he becomes more of a partner uh, and that, that could offer something, stability uh, and uh, continued governance in a, in a world where Mr. Trudeau maybe could have an election and get a shot at a majority. But we're not seeing that now. So what's what's the what's the mm. risk? For Mr. Shrew, yeah. if he's at 35%, uh, unless he really thinks he's got a hot campaign and something that he can he can launch on, um, getting to 38 39% might be pretty tough. So I think Mr. Singh just gains by the Conservatives keeping doing their dogged thing, Charlie Angus doing his thing, and but Singh keeping on, 
the issue of supporting people through a pandemic on financial issues, which has been his real calling card for a number of months. And I think he's been successful at uh, at being uh, consistent and creating a personality for himself or an idea about what Jagmeet Singh is all about. All right, we've got a question coming in from one of our viewers on on Facebook Live. And what's the panel think of the Liberals calling by-elections during a pandemic? Toronto Centre and and the other one. And we'll start with you, Michelle. What do you think of uh, a by-election? Well, um, it had to be called, right? Like they have six months to call it. And so if you're kind of looking at the tea leaves and is the is the pandemic going to be better now or in six months? Right. Um, in Toronto, uh, as an example. Mm, yeah. Uh, and with the flu season coming uh, and uh, the cold weather, when everybody, you know, when everyone's worried about air circulation inside places and that, I think it probably was um, good to just go and get it over with uh, while it's still while it's uh well before it got completely out of control tom what do you think yeah no complaints they rushed it a bit uh, and, and and caught the uh, the other parties a little bit off guard but uh, having an election and i'm you know i'm very sensitive to uh, to what's going on around the pandemic and i'm not very happy about the lack of action on uh, mr ford's part about you know pulling back a bit on more high risk locations like bars and restaurants the way they've done in other provinces but i don't think going for a vote which takes 10 or 15 minutes is a particularly high risk activity they're doing it in bc they're doing it in saskatchewan they've done it in new brunswick it can be done safely it's more about the safety of the campaign workers themselves i think uh, the candidates and the workers to have good good practices than it is a, th- a threat to uh to the voting public so you know democracy has to go on Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we can't we can't just say yeah. you know that we're we're not gonna we're not gonna have votes on things anymore and, and not fill seats. So I think it was fine. All right, same with you, uh, Lydia. Yeah, I'm not too fussed about a by election. In fact, it's a good sort of test test run of how a federal election might work uh, moving forward. But I do want to pick up on this idea that the NDP are doing well. I don't see it that way. Actually, I think the NDP have been pretty invisible this whole time uh, and really have have been to the sidelines. And I think that there's a real risk for Mr. Singh going forward. If he's too closely associated with Trudeau and with this expansive government agenda, it could mean that Trudeau gets all the credit, especially if things go well. And so why would voters then want to support the NDP? Um, it, it's always tricky in a, in a minority situation and a sort of a de facto coalition. If things go wrong, we don't know who to blame. But also if things go right, you might want to stick with the government of the day. And that certainly worked well for for Justin Trudeau's father. I mean, they, they were had no mm-hmm. problems under the Pierre Elliott Trudeau's uh, minority government years to steal all the policies from the NDP and then when while they were in minority situation and then come back with the majority. So I think there's a huge risk for Jagmeet Singh. And, you know, if the NDP are up in the polls, that's actually bodes well for the Conservatives more so than the Liberals. And so what the Liberals want to do is really suppress that NDP vote by sort of taking away a lot of their boutique policies. What do you think, Tom? Well, there's always the risk that the wrong people will get credit. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a given. But uh, And so that's the work. And I think if people are paying attention, they, they know that uh, Singh was uh, the advocate for CERB and that he was most recently the advocate for uh, the increase when CERB became uh, the Canadian response uh, benefit. 
and that he was the advocate for the 10 days of sick time, which should have been done a long time ago. That he, If we move ahead on, on child care and pharmacare, I think people know that that's been a longstanding NDP push, something that the liberals have often promised and never done. So, you know, I wow. think he's I, I think the point is well made. There is that risk. But his job is to his job is is, you know, is to is to speak up for these issues, mm. and push as hard as he can because these things help people. And then hopefully uh, through his own work and the work of his caucus and his party, uh, people will say, if I want more of this, what I have to do is elect more new Democrats uh, to get it. It's the counter argument. But, you know, it's it's politics is an art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. And it can be messy, too. It can be messy. Uh, Warren, we have a new player on the scene in federal politics. Annamy Paul is the new leader of the Federal Green Party, and she's looking at other parties to not run against her in the upcoming uh, by-election. Uh, and there's been talk about it being courtesy for letting that happen. But this isn't exactly the same situation as Jagmeet Singh was, is it? No, it's not. And, uh, I, you know, I think all of us would agree she's a very uh, impressive person. And, um, you know, her achievement is a big one. And it's wonderful to see not just a female leader, but a female leader of color who's of the Jewish faith. That's just extraordinary and a wonderful, wonderful thing. That all said, I still think that she's going to be beaten and she's going to be beaten um, significantly by the liberal candidate in Toronto Centre. Toronto Centre is like if there was a zombie apocalypse and there's just one liberal seat left, that's the liberal seat that's going to be left. She's going to lose. So I'm not quite sure what the strategy is in sending your leader in there to have her lose. I think that's a pretty bad strategy. Uh, she might have considered just holding off a little bit. And uh, But then again, you know, I got the Mr. Singh argument. He puttered around doing God knows what for quite some time and realized he made a mistake in not getting into the House of Commons. So, um, you know, it's kind of half a dozen one, six or the other, but uh, it's wonderful to have her there. And I congratulate her for her achievement. Uh, Michelle, uh, you know, when we, when we look at uh, Anna Paul, do you think that uh, she should get the courtesy or, or in, in the situation, I would think that'd be just handing her handing the Green Party another seat. Would she not? you know, basically have somebody step down, perhaps Elizabeth May, and then then you could do something like that? Well, yeah, like that was the point that I was making uh, uh, today on, uh, on other broadcasts. It's that, you know, taking the be- one of the best and strongest liberal seats, you also have to take into account the voters and who they predominantly vote for over and over and over again. Um, and let's not forget, it's a, it's a pretty great candidate that uh, the liberals are putting forward in... Um, uh, in Toronto Centre as well, Marcy Ian. So uh, I think that, you know, trying to call upon everybody to step back is a little bit precious, uh, to be honest. I don't think it was her best move as a, in their first few days as leader. Uh, I think that she was getting some, you know, really great coverage and well-deserved coverage. It is impressive, as Warren said, um, and I look forward to seeing what she should do. But really, you know, Elizabeth May has probably the safest if there is such a thing, green seat uh, in Canada. And, uh, you know, let's, let, let's, uh, she should step down and give, and give the new leader a real springboard for success. Um, you know, she will be trounced in Toronto Centre. Because let's, let's also be honest, most Canadians, the vast, vast majority of Canadians and the people in Toronto Centre have no idea that the Green Party just had a leadership. 
And there's not going to be like, there's going to be, and there's not going to be a lot of campaigning. There's not going to be much attention. It's a by-election. You only get out maybe 25% of the vote anyways. Uh, nobody's going to know that, that she was even on the ballot. Um, so I think that uh, they need to regroup and rethink. And if she wants to be successful, she needs to put together a good team of advisors around her and really think through what their strategy is to, uh, to be relevant. Lydia, we're uh, with a minority government and will be for a while, obviously. Uh, can this minority government, from your perspective, be, be effective? No, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen that it has. I mean, it's, it's certainly dealt with one of the most pressing issues of, of the last hundred years, a, a massive pandemic and also a massive financial crisis, and they seem to be holding their own. They had a few hiccups at the beginning, and I think that the role of opposition parties was really effective. I, I'm, I, I'm actually not usually a fan of minority governments, but this time around, I think it's been actually quite good because it has held the government to account, notwithstanding some of the mistakes that they've been making. Um, they're, they're, the opposition parties do have a significant input and impact on the direction of the government and I would hope that they would learn their mistakes from earlier in this year and maybe have more consultation with all the party leaders just to ensure that they have you know as much as they have the best intentions for Canadians let's have the best execution of the policies that they're putting forward that would be nice that would be nice uh Warren what did you think can this minority government be effective sure no they they can be and they have you know like uh, on balance as Lydia says, this is, this is the most extraordinary political and economic event of our lifetimes. Um, this is unequaled. Uh, this has been a seismic shift in the way we live our lives and not just the way we do our politics. And so, you know, on balance, again, going back to the point I made a little while ago, we're doing pretty well when you compare us to the rest of the world and particularly to the United States. So, you know, hats off to all of our political leaders. I think they're doing okay, but we still have to hold them to account. All right. Well, uh, folks, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, once again, that's it for Unpublished TV. Our Unpublished TV panel, Michelle Cadario is the CEO of Vanguard Strategy and a principal of JNM Leadership Network. Lydia Milgen is associate professor and the director of Bachelor of Arts and Sciences program at the University of Windsor. Warren Kinsella, lawyer and political commentator. And Tom Parkin is a columnist and commentator and a former NDP candidate. We will be off for next Monday, Thanksgiving, and we will return on October 19th with a new panel to discuss Canada in the second wave of the pandemic. I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.